0: Welcome to Retirement Revealed, I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. Today we're talking with Steve Lopez about how he has been coming to terms with his journey towards retirement. And I had learned about Steve from a Wall Street Journal article. You might know I love the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I've got maybe a new favorite newspaper after our conversation. We'll talk about that, too. But the article was the best books and podcasts of 2022 about aging and retirement. So I read, uh, read the book. I read Steve's book. Realize it's really both about retirement and aging. I had so much fun reading this book. Uh, I just wanted to bring Steve on the show.
1: This is Retirement Revealed, where Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you towards making smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions.
0: And Steve, welcome to the show. It's
2: so good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, a uh, little insider baseball is a lot of times when I am uh, preparing for a guest to be on the show, I'll skim the book. I could not skim your book because I just found it so uh, fascinating. So thanks thanks for writing a, a very well-written book about how you are planning or just making the decision about retiring.
2: Well, appreciate that. And um, it's not, you saw it in the Wall Street Journal where you might expect a book about retirement to be about financial considerations and as you know this one is not really because i know next to nothing about money uh and i'm sorry that i'm i'm no expert on that subject it's all on the spiritual side like um you know how do you know when it's time kind of spiritually to retire
0: yeah and it uh, i guess kind of related to spirit is that one thing i really found about this is fascinating is that you really talked about your identity uh, and I, I maybe a good way to think of identity is just, what do you say when somebody says, what do you do? So I'm, I'm curious, can you just tell us, how would you answer the what do you do question before you wrote the book? And how would you answer it now that you have written the book?
2: When I started to think about writing this book, it was, it was uh, during a conversation with my good friend and agent, David Black is his name. And he's a little bit younger than me, but We've been friends for many years, and he was asking about, you know, what's new, what's on your mind. I said, I'm beginning to think a little bit of retirement, and I'm just not sure. I'm really conflicted about it because it appeals on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm somebody who enjoys my job. And um, I, um, I suppose you could say that my entity, my identity is very much caught up in what I do for a living, because what I do for a living is write this column that is sort of a running conversation with readers. So um, that's kind of the life of me, is to to follow what's going on, to think about what's going on, and to find some angle for it. And I thought, okay, if I do go ahead and pull the trigger here and retire, then who am I? I mean, if for 50 years I've been this guy who is supposed to come up with something to say about what's in the news, or to find stories that are not in the news, then what? And my And David said to me, Well, it's a book about identity. And there are a lot of people who are struggling with that very thing. People who kind of think they want to get to that bucket list, maybe get to some other things, maybe spend time with the grandchildren, travel more, but they like their work. And I don't know if you had to break it down, how many people who are working like their work. And then there are others who maybe they don't love it, but still your identity is that you're a nurse or you're a teacher, you're a police officer. And when you leave that, Um, Can you create a chapter two and a new identity that are as fulfilling as what you did for a living? So that was something that I wrestled with, and I wrestled with it in the book as well.
0: Yeah, and you shared that. That's what I found so fascinating is so many people are going through maybe not the identity crisis, but the identity questioning. And if they don't do it beforehand, they oftentimes find that uh, crisis or questioning uh, afterwards. I think you, you started the book in a way I think a lot of people might go where you create this pro and con list uh, in a way. And uh, I'll just list out some of them for everybody. Uh, some of them was kind of, okay, if I retire, why should I retire? Well, you've worked long enough. You're still young enough to do some stuff. Uh, you don't have to deal with deadlines anymore. And some reasons not to retire were, oh my goodness, the market's down. I should just be lucky to have a job. And, and interesting one, you said, well, I'm just trying to fight against age discrimination, uh, you know, just saying, Hey, they don't need, they can't kick me out. I'll decide, uh, when to go. And all those sound pretty familiar. We talk to people all the time. Those sound pretty, uh, kind of familiar, but I'm curious, kind of going through this project, uh, with these pros and cons, what, what reasons to retire or maybe not retire showed up maybe while you're, while you're writing the book or after you wrote the book.
2: It's interesting you bring up that list because I'm not a make a list guy. I'm... (laughs) I, I sort of just go with my gut. And um, the problem with my list, as you just read it, was that I thought each side was pretty compelling. So it made me all the more conflicted. I liked the con list. I liked the, the, the pro list. So as I was doing it, as I was working on the book, so um, so that your listeners know, I gave myself a year. I gave it a deadline and thought, let me interview people. That's what I do for a living. Let me talk to people, happily retired, miserably retired, can't wait to retire, wish they hadn't retired, um, and help inform my own decision. And I'm one of those people who is, is persuaded greatly by the last person they spoke to. Um, these are not flattering things that I'm saying about myself, I suppose. But, um, you know, I, I, I when I spoke to, well, I can think of one in particular that made me think, yeah, Get out now. I had, I had created this uh, relationship of pen pals at a retirement community in Los Angeles. Um, people who lived at a retirement village, uh, several thousand of them. And I asked their advice on, um, on retirement, what things I should think about. And I was having trouble getting hold of one of them. And one day I tried again, I rang the number and she picked up and I heard background chatter that sounded like marine radio, like she was on a boat. <laughs> and, I, you know, where are you? She, well, she's on a boat. Mm-hmm. She's off the coast of California. She's retired. She's with her husband. They just came upon a fishing boat where one of the fishermen tossed them a lunker that they had just pulled out of the sea. And their plan was to have a sunset cocktail on the boat, somewhere between Los Angeles and the Mexican border, um And then grill some fresh fish. And she said, get out while you can. Get out and do things while you're young enough and healthy enough to enjoy them. And to me, that was just so compelling. And I thought, she's right. And that's one of the things that I feared. That um, as I approach 70, and I'm going to be 70 in less than a year, am I going to be one of those people who stays on so long that when they finally retire, they can't do the things that they wanted to do. Maybe they're hobbled. Maybe um, maybe their spouse is, is uh, sick. Maybe there's this cognitive loss. So that was a point of the book where I was certain I was going to retire. The problem is that in that year that I worked on this, I was certain at various times that I was going to retire and that I wasn't. Um, and when I wasn't, it was at a point where I was working on a story about a gentleman who's a a a desert ecologist and he works in the palm springs area and he was studying the impact of the drought on a couple of iconic southern california plants the joshua tree and ocotillo plants and the guy was a little older than i was and he'd been doing this for 50 years so we're kind of peers and um he has these study sites where every year He goes out and measures the circumference of the trunks of these plants and otherwise takes notes on them like a field scientist. And I asked if he, I said, I was thinking of retiring. Did he ever think about it? And he said, this is me. This is, I'd love to do this. And given the drought and climate change, this is the best time in my entire lifetime to study these things. Why would I leave? I cannot imagine doing something more fulfilling. Father Gregory Boyle who helps redirect the lives of troubled young men and women, told me the same thing. Randall Graham, who is a legendary winemaker in California, also my age. These guys are all roughly my age and said, why would you leave the thing that you love? You're lucky if you found what you love to do, if it gives you connections to the world around you, why would you leave it? So at various times working on the book, I was convinced I was out, I was convinced I was in, and then I ended up somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah, I think uh, just having that both sides of the story is what really uh, draws people in. Because I imagine very few people have a 100% decision. I am way to go. I'm going to retire. I'm going to keep on working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just having kind of that back and forth and it gives people just a more opportunity to explore how they're feeling uh, on both sides of the coin. Although as you reveal, and, and you might talk about it a second, you don't uh, you don't really take both sides of the coin. You, coin, you try to take on... Uh, you try to take on both sides of the coin instead of just one or the other. We keep talking about the book. We may as well mention it, right? It's called Independence Day. What I learned about retirement from some uh, who've done it and some who never will. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So that's the, uh, that's the book there. And I'm just going to say uh, right, now, right now, I don't think you really wanted to retire. Because it seemed like the vast majority of the people you interviewed were in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, and they kept on working. So that's my uh, kind of a reader's take on it.
2: Well, you should be an analyst because (laughs) that sounds like an astute observation. That's interesting. I wonder if I, you know what, now that you mentioned, I had not thought of that. I wonder if I um, consciously or subconsciously stack the deck in favor of my continuing to work. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll we'll give you more time later on to explore that. Uh, Although one, one part, you mentioned Father Boyle. Uh, one thing he said that I really loved it was go where life is, as long as, uh, this gives you meaning, why would you stop? Um, and of course, whatever this might be, could be work, could be something else. And so going with his uh, term of go where life is, where, where's life at for you these days? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell
2: you where, where life is at. I just went to a 50 year tribute to father Greg, oh, great. Uh, 50 years, 50 years as a Jesuit. And, um, I, you know, I, I look at people like that, and, and I asked Father Greg, I said, do you ever think about retirement? We're the same age. And he looked at me as if that was a crazy question, as if, okay, I thought you knew me is the way he looked at me. You know what I do. You know how fulfilling it is for me. You know that I couldn't think of anything I'd rather be doing. He um, He's an inspiration to me. And I I I, I got to say, though, as much as I love what I do, i've done it for 50 years and i do think a lot about well i didn't try other things to find out whether i might love them as much and i've just never had that opportunity in my life and i'm running out of time and what do i want to do with what there was one reader who said to me something about this important decision of uh, thinking about how we want to spend the last one quarter of our lives And it jumped out at me because I had not thought of it in percentages. (laughs) And maybe I hadn't thought of it in percentages because that's pretty depressing. It's like, oh, my goodness, 75% of of it is over. And I I really did think about, do you want to do in the 25% you might have left, if you're lucky, what you've done for the last 50%? Or do you want to try new things? I really honestly did not know. And when I, when I began writing the book, I did not know whether I would keep working full-time or retire. And um, I think some of the best advice I got was, if you have a notion of what you think you're going to do. I mean, I was thinking of the book as maybe a roadmap for other people along the same path. Um, if you really think you know what you might want to do, and it's at all possible, sample the dream. Carve out an extended vacation, maybe a sabbatical. And see if um, you really might find that thing as fulfilling as what you do now. As Father Greg finds his work, as Randall Graham, the winemaker, finds his work. So I've begun to do that with with my hybrid plan here, where I have additional time off. I'm playing a lot of uh, guitar. Um, I'm traveling a little bit more, and I'm trying to sample the dream, which, if you can do it, I think is really good advice because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have that going away party and um, get your gold watch or your fountain pen, whatever they give you for 30, 40 years of service, and then go off to do this thing and find out that you're bored to tears. So I'm trying to sample the dream right now.
0: When you can sample the dream, kind of the old days was you work in a job, perhaps with a a union or perhaps with a pension or something corporate where It's like the only way to go was 100% and then zero. And several people in your book said that's like the worst thing you can do just to just almost go from having everything to do to having nothing uh, to do. So that's, uh, that's great that you're sampling the dream and, and people have the opportunity now. You know, just the whole uh, pandemic proved that you could work from home or that you could take off a couple of weeks and no one would miss you, right? You, there's there's ways to figure this out without just having the, the inkling that it's going to work out.
2: Yeah, the other thing that has changed, you're right about that. The other thing that has changed is that Related in part to the pandemic is that um, a lot of people who left their jobs or were were temporarily laid off decided they didn't want to go back. So for people my age, there was maybe an opportunity to use their years of knowledge, experience, wisdom and go back, but go back on your own terms, flex Mm -hmm. time, not commuting because, um, you know, you don't need to be in an office anymore necessarily um, and kind of design your own new work life, which is which is what I ended up doing so. Yes, I, I think that boomers who um, get a lot of, um, you know, um, from younger generations, we hear that we've ruined things, that <laughs> they can't afford homes, and, um, you know, the salaries are not as great, and their struggles are are, are many, um, and boomers ruin the world. Boomers, uh, you know, I guess maybe you could say that some of that might be true, but boomers are now reinventing retirement, and we're we're rewriting the rules of retirement, and um um, I think that people are being creative about how they want to spend that last quarter of their lives. And, and for many, it involves, uh, continuing on full-time and for others, they're, um, they're getting creative.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate you mentioning the, uh, the quarter of your life. So I like to look at, uh, life expectancies quite a bit. Cause it seems like half the battle when I'm helping people plan their retirement is, showing that their personal belief about how long they're going to live is is wrong. And there's so many studies that actually show you'll you'll probably live about five years longer than average. So I'm looking at my own life expectancy. Why not? Well, I turned 42. Turns out uh, 42-year-old males uh, that are in good health should live to about 84 or so. So here I am. I just completed my 50% of my life. And then I'm reading my, uh, um, I'm working on an employee handbook. And I've got an HR consultant. Uh, turns out age discrimination starts at 40. So uh, you, your 25% uh, left uh, is matching up with my 50% left, uh, apparently, according to the, the number. So it was uh, it was interesting hearing you uh, go through the, you know, what are you going to do with the last quarter of your life? I've got this, what do I do with the last half of my life thing uh, showing up right now. Well,
2: you've got, uh, you're a youngster. I don't want to hear any complaints from you. You're, exactly. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> you're a young man. And you know, you, that, that not knowing is a big part. I'm glad you brought that up. Not knowing how long you're going to live is a big part of this decision because um, although I didn't focus on the financial aspects of it, that's certainly part of it. And, you know, even the decision for me about when do you start drawing Social Security was was almost too too difficult for me to figure out. It's like, OK, I'll I'll start taking that Social Security at 65 if you're going to tell me I'm only going to last until I'm, you know, 75. But um, if I'm going to live till, you know, 85 or 90, I want to wait until I really need it. And I guess they've got they've got it figured out. So they've got you either way because the average, what, life expectancy is 83. I had a friend who took it early and told me, unless you're going to live past 83, start taking the money early. Because mm-hmm. they're, the federal government is saying, here, have some money. What kind of a fool says no? It's going to be the same anyway, unless you live till 90. But that that's a big consideration for a lot of people. People are living longer, healthcare is expensive. Healthcare, as you know, eats into people's nest eggs, which they thought were enough to carry them through to the end. And how do you know whether you're ready financially if you don't know whether at retirement you're going to live another two years or another twenty-five? Um, that's those are all um, you know uncertainties that that, that complicated my decision on what to do.
0: It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our five-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement investment and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to five step retirement plan.com, use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. Five step retirement Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people do have that same uncertainty. And at the same time, there's a whole, uh, industry of people who deal with uncertainty and there's a lot of, uh, actuarial tables that are out there. Yes. You know, what's so interesting with social security. I'll give by a uh, plug to you about whatever your social security decision is, but it's not just about your own life expectancy it's often about the life expectancy of you and your spouse. And you mentioned yeah. in your book that your spouse is as younger than you. So it almost doesn't matter how long you live. It matters how long she might live. And that's a different ballgame. That's a different math. And so many people forget that math or don't even know to look at that math. Yeah. You got to write a book about that. I think I'll, I'll put it. I know who to call as a, uh, as a writer. That's that's,
2: this, for sure. you know, um, speaking of spouses, um, I should give credit to my wife, Allison because she had, the best line of my book, Um, when I was, because our office was closed during COVID, I was working more from home. And, um, you know, I said, but we don't live in, look, we're living in California, but we're not in a 12-room Malibu beach compound, all right? I'm living in Pasadena in a two-bedroom house, and my wife is a writer and editor, and she works at home. So suddenly, after my entire adult life working in an office, I'm now working at home. And my wife and I are bumping into each other. And I said to her one day, you know, boy, this pandemic <clears throat> is like a preview of retirement because I'm home all the time. And she said, she looked at me and said, if this is a preview, I do not want to see the movie. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, I've got my space. I've always had my space and you're, um, you're closing in on it and we got to figure out what to do. So that is actually a, an important consideration for anybody contemplating retirement, and a woman in my book named Nancy Schlossberg advised me about that. She said, in retirement, everything will change, your relationship with your friends, with your colleagues who will be your former colleagues, your relationship to the world around you, and certainly with the people you live with, who are going to have to put up with your irritating self more often than they ordinarily do, and those adjustments can be difficult for a lot of people. My wife said, you may be ready to retire and hang around the house, but I'm not ready to retire. And so you're going to have to figure out something to do with your time. I am not going to be your play date every day. I'm not going to be your little retirement buddy. And those are considerations that I hadn't fully considered before writing the book and getting good advice like that.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Nancy. I, I enjoyed reading everything uh, that she that uh, You had her, you know, quoted her in right there. <laughs> of course, uh, Nancy, for the people that haven't read it yet, is a 92-year-old yeah. psychologist. So she's got uh, a couple different angles, the psychology angle and the uh, angle on um, just uh, being a psychologist and talking to plenty of uh, other people. You mentioned yeah. your uh, two-bedroom house and the pandemic. And, of course, it wasn't just the two of you, you and your wife in there. You had your daughter. uh finishing up her high school year and i just got to tell you as a uh dad of an eight-year-old and 11-year-old every chapter where you were talking about your daughter making her decision uh going off to college this is a huge life change uh for you to have her go off to college every time i was getting tears in my eyes i just it's like i couldn't even handle it so i'm just curious how how's that going for you how's she doing in college
2: well you, you know i appreciate that i um I was advised that the way the timing was lining up, if I retired at the end of my one year of considering retirement, I'd be retiring at the same time that my daughter would be going off to college. And and I was told that you are staring at the double void. You're staring at no longer a job to go to and no longer your your child in, in the house. And, um, you know, my wife and I... Um, we, we love having her around. Um, she is a teenager, and that can be difficult at times. But we, I was thinking, uh, oh, my goodness, how am I going to handle that? Because <clears throat> I'm an older dad. It's a second time for me. And so for my entire adult life, I've had kids in the house. And I like that. And I know that our job is to raise them to be independent and self-sufficient and go off and do their own thing rather than live at home with mom and dad for the rest of their lives. But it's a difficult transition. It's another of those transitions that uh, Nancy Schlossberg talks about. And so my daughter did go off to college, and it was difficult. And it is still difficult, except for right this moment that you and I are speaking, because she got home last night from Ohio, where <laughs> she goes to college. She got home for, for Christmas break. So we've got her for a month, and um, then we ship her back to Ohio. And um, it's a big, big transition. It's It's tough. Uh, for me to be an empty nester, there are people who can't wait to be empty nesters. I was not one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that certainly came through in the <laughs> book, and that's that just speaks to the relationship you have with your wife, with your daughter. That's that's just that's just great. I want to uh, talk about uh, Nancy real quick, and and part of it actually more along the lines of something I didn't see in the book, and it's related to what I what I hear <clears throat> from most people going into retirements, and maybe after just after retirement. Is their identity was a saver? Like I am a saver. I'm putting twenty percent towards my retirement. I'm frugal, and then all (coughs) of a sudden that stops. Like there's no paycheck coming in. You're actually expected to, sometimes required to, you know, take money out of your uh, investments. Is that something that you came across at all, where people were having this struggle of uh, kind of an identity shift from saver to spender?
2: I'm having, I'm having, I'm having that struggle. Okay. I'm going to be, um, and yes, um, no, the financial consideration is um, obviously um, an an important one and and a big determinant in whether people retire happily or not. And there's a gentleman in my book who thought he had it, he thought he had it figured out. He had the nest egg that was going to carry him through his um, ideal retirement of traveling the world with his wife. He lost in one of the market dips, he lost a big chunk. I guess it wasn't, um, he wasn't, um, didn't have a very balanced portfolio or something. Um, And because he'd retired, didn't have a chance to earn it back. And then he got a diagnosis of cancer. And even with Medicare and supplemental coverage, those bills begin to eat into what you might have left of that dwindling nest egg. And that's a guy who in his mid 70s, now works as a uh, checkout guy at a big box discount store. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things, I was very much aware, um, happen to millions of people. It could even happen to me. Um, and uh, then there are all of those people that can't even afford to consider retirement. There are a lot of people who will be working forever. So for me, <clears throat> I've always thought about those things like, okay, at what age am I forced to begin drawing from my 401k I guess it's now Congress changed that right at 72
0: 72 now but they could change it any moment they're talking about 75 it might be 75 by the time we publish this (laughs) well well,
2: um so I thought in terms of um let me get to let me get to what is my number that I think I can live on and as you and I have just discussed how do you know your number when you don't know how long you're going to live and my financial consultant um um, when I, when I talk about my number, has always said to me, I said, I, I get nervous. Okay, so there's a dip in the market. I'm a coward. I'm on the phone with my financial guy saying, let's lock everything up. We got to tie it up. <laughs> he says, look, you're very conservatively invested at this point because of your age. And you don't want to think of your retirement as a time when you're no longer taking on any risk. Um, you know, you're going to want to maintain at least some risk in retirement to try to make some money, to try to get to where whatever you do withdraw to live on is replaced by your smart investments. So that for me is terrifying because I always had in my head, coward that I am, get to the point where you can sleep at night and not worry about whether you wake up and the Dow is down 680 points. But this guy is telling me, no, you're stuck with this for the rest of your life (laughs) and you even need to think about not drawing down, but 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 um staving and adding to it. I mean, maybe it's one reason I wrote the book. It's like I'm getting close to retirement. I'm not sure that my nest egg is big enough and the birds are the, the hawks are picking away at it as it is. So I, I I think that um I think that it's it's very scary. I've got a good friend who retired, she's in the book. And, and I think she lives a little bit nervously because she's no longer the saver, the contributor, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh my God, do we do we really have to buy this new refrigerator because we hadn't planned that? And uh oh, and I think the idea of seeing your nest egg shrink gradually mm-hmm. is is terrifying, both in the practical sense, but also kind of um, psychologically because that's your life shrinking away. It's shrinking because you don't have many years left and it's getting smaller because you don't need it. So the psychology of all of that is to me, um, complicated and terrifying. You're asking the wrong guy about financial considerations.
0: No, but you gave me uh, something yeah. I hadn't considered before. And I thought I was more of an identity of, I was a saver, now I'm a spender. Oh my goodness, I just can't uh, you know, handle that thought. <laughs> but People call it a life savings for a reason. It took your whole life to save that up. And what you said right there, that when you're taking it out, it's almost like you're taking life force out of yourself. Like you you, yeah. you built up, you've put your life into this savings. And now to see it go down or to take it out, like you're withdrawing life force. thats I got to think about that one for a little bit. I, I like that well, uh, metaphor there.
2: Yeah, and there's one more thought. I mean, I think that people with kids um, want to think about leaving them something. So, yeah, so that's yeah. another consideration. It's like, okay, um, if you calculate this so that you draw down, draw down, draw down, and then the nest egg is gone, you're passing nothing on to your kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that they, of course, I do think need to make it on their own. But right, still, right. I mean, I love my uh, dear little daughter and my, my son, and, you know, I want, I want to hand something down to them. So, yeah, you get to – I don't know. I'm at the age now where I really think twice – don't tell anybody that I, I told you this, but I bought a, <laughs> another guitar a couple of weeks ago on Craigslist. Please don't tell my uh, my wife. I bought a used guitar. And go. I feel guilty about sure. such purchases because that's, that's coming out of, you know. I, right. Thank God I'm still working part-time or I'd feel even more guilty about it. But I think when I'm no longer getting a paycheck, I think I'm going to be really one of those nervous people about any purchase or trip. I'm going to be looking mm-hmm. for the discounts and the uh, the sales more than I do now.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're definitely not alone there. And we just uh, appreciate your time, Steve. I've got right. one more question for you. But before that, uh, tell us what's the best way for people to reach out to you?
2: <clears throat> well, um, I'm old fashioned. So the best way to reach out. Um, is um, you can find me on facebook at uh, steve.lopez.independence i'm old-fashioned though so uh, email Um, does anybody out there still read email i'm steve.lopez steve.lopez at latimes.com is probably the best way or twitter it's at lat steve lopez Um, and uh, yeah i'm pretty
0: easy to find yeah perfect we'll have links to all that in the show notes as well too. And of course, anyone that's interested in how, uh, what we do at the Kyle Financial Partners, you can check us out at retirement-reveal.com. All right, final question for you, Steve. Tell us something about yourself that few people know about. And remember, this podcast is rated clean.
2: Um, I'm gonna tell you, um, I'm gonna tell you something about me that um, I thought that I would never be able to play music that I enjoyed listening to on my guitar. And nobody knows this because nobody wants to hear me play the guitar, including my wife. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting pretty damn good. And I am thinking of maybe starting a garage band. So anybody out there who is a bit timid and not quite ready for prime time, stepping out onto a stage, let's get together. Let's um, let's buck up, face our fears and start a band. There's no telling where this could go. I'm getting damn good on the guitar. That's what I want you to know.
0: That's great. Well, good for you. And uh, I'm going to encourage you then because you're out in L.A. I imagine you may run across or know how to run across some uh, music producers for my uh, wife's birthday this year. I had my 11 year old. She wrote a song for my wife. I networked my way through and found a music producer uh, in Milwaukee here. And we went down to a studio, recorded that song, and that was her birthday gift. And so I mean, now for, for generations, <laughs> we will have that. So I'm going to encourage you. Uh, whatever you got going on with the uh, guitar, especially if you're in a good good space right now with your your skills, uh, find a way to record it and find a music producer because he took the two tracks we did, added like four or five more, and it's amazing. It's it's It was fun to do.
2: There could be a whole new career out there for me. I'm going to be a spender rather than a saver if this works out.
0: That's right. I suppose. Good. Well, uh, there, Ryan, everyone here again, It's the, uh, it, the book is Independence Day. What I learned about retirement from some who've done it and some who never will. We're going to put the link in the show notes. And we love giving away books, uh, Steve, on here. So the first three people that email me, it's podcast at kylefp.com, podcast at k-e-i-l-f-p.com. Uh, ask for the book and I'll send it right out to you. That's great. I mean, they'd probably rather
2: have Milwaukee Bucks tickets, right? But uh, the book is not a. It's not bad. It's a, it makes a nice holiday gift item.
0: It does. That's for, that's for sure. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Steve. It's been a, a pleasure having you on the, the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for a great interview. And don't quit. You're good at this.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. And uh, thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you'll feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions.
1: This was another great episode of the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to automatically get our latest episodes. If you liked our show and want even more, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please go to retirement-revealed.com to learn more and send us your questions and feedback. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners, Thrivent, or its affiliates. The guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by Thrivent Advisor Network. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal accounting or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have with your investment planning.